I can't take any of this seriously unless I know who I'm talking to. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour and joined of a Saturday, most Saturdays, in fact. That's our good luck in evidence. We're talking about Nathan Miller, our producer at the board. How are you doing, Nathan? Good morning and afternoon to you, Gary and Suzanne. And staying cool enough to survive this little heat wave we're going through over the weekend and parts of the latter of the week. We watch the Weather Channel religiously, and we find I look at the temperatures, and I got to say this much: there, when I'm going back now to the, hmm, I would say mid to late 1980s, so it's been a while, but I can recall, and I usually watched on CNN, and I get the weather report, and I thought, wow, if I wanted a safe harbor away from the heat, if I wanted a respite, what I need to do and did several times is to spend part of the summer up in Seattle and environs in order to escape the heat. And now it's like the heat follows you wherever you go in this country anymore. I wonder what's behind all that. (laughs) Well, it says right here that we are in the potential for another 90 degree day and could set a record for the most consecutive days of at least 90 degrees in a row in the Seattle area, according to uh, Cairo's weather center here. I think the thing to do, because streaks are important at this time to Mariners fans, why don't you all go on down to T-Mobile and park your cars? What is it, 25 bucks? You can go there and just uh, wait for the heat to arrive and see if we keep that streak going, because the Astros are no help. I know, man. How about we just you don't play the pitch. Astros for the rest of the year? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Sir, that would so be you nice. guys just picked up a great pitcher, so. Well, good. And none too soon. So this is this is exactly what what is needed. That's right. And we'll get a well that voice there. Who's, who's chiming in? We got to find out Gary. who that is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Today's a special day for us because it marks the return of our friend Michael Fierro, a very noteworthy and popular numerologist. He plays life by the numbers. I don't know. I think he could in a past life. He probably was a master statistician, but we'll get into all that. If you're a believer in reincarnation, this is his 12th visit. If we're going to play it by the numbers with Michael Fierro, visit number 12. Now, an even dozen as we welcome him to the show from New Jersey. He's the pride of the Garden State. Michael Fierro, thanks for being with us again, sir. So glad that you're spending part of your weekend with us on air. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. One of the reasons, other than the fact that we like to talk with you regularly, but one of the reasons we thought we would have you on today is for um, the idea that we all have a personal year. I happen to be in a personal year number five. When you add up my month, my day, and the year I was born, you had written um, about a month ago about the country's personal year, and Gary and I were really interested in reading what it is you had to say. Interestingly enough, Gary and the country are both in a personal year eight, and so I thought that'd be a great place to start the interview, even though we're going to meander off in all kinds of directions before the end of the hour. 
But I thought this is why we were saying we've got to get him back is to talk about the country being in a personal eight year. So please hold forth what that means for us today. Okay, I just want to make one quick correction before I begin. Your personal year is determined by your month and your day of birth and the universal year. That's the that's how you can that's how you figure out your personal year. Your month, well, day, and year of birth is your life path. So your personal year is factored by we're in a universal six year. So you would add six to your month and day of birth. That gives you your personal year. When's your not, birthday? It, When's your it's birthday? not it's not the it's not the current year. See, I was adding it up with the current year, but Gary hasn't had his birthday yet. His birthday is in September. So I was adding for him two plus zero plus two plus one, the current year. And so that came out to added to his birthday, nine twelve. That came out to an eight. No, he'll go into a nine personal year on his birthday. In, in September, right. But today, correct. until today, September he's still 12, in an eight, correct. He's in an yes. eight. And right. you said the country is in an eight. And that's what I wanted you to talk correct. about. All right. So what does that mean to be in an eight year? Well, uh, personal years, we go through these nine-year cycles. They, they're just a continual loop of periods of time of nine years. So uh, I, I always use the analogy of a garden that if you view a nine-year cycle as a planting and, and harvesting a garden, in a one-year, you plan and plant. So that's the year that you make decisions about how you added some groundwork and some plans for how you're going to accomplish the goals that you are setting. Um, and uh, each succeeding year, you have to build on the plans that you, that you began, uh, just like with a garden. Once you plant, once you plant a garden, you have to tend to, you have to fertilize, you have to weed it, you have to do all those different things so you will reap what you have sown. And that's the same with the nine-year cycle of personal years that you have to tend to your plants each succeeding year. So in the eighth and ninth years of your cycle, you will reap what you have sown. So the United States went into its eighth personal year on July 4th, which puts us in the eighth year of our current nine-year cycle. And that's a cycle that began in 2015. So what happened over these ensuing years um, kind of puts us where we are today. Uh, um, we had hopes in 2015 of moving forward, proving as a country and, and doing things that would benefit everyone. Coming out of the Obama years, it was great hope. There was an element of change in the air. And in 2015, when we should have continued to push forward with that, we kind of began to take a step backwards. We all know what happened with the nominations for the parties, and we all know what happened in 2016 with the election. And um, in my personal opinion, we have been stepping backwards ever since. Uh, in 2016, which was a nine universal year, so you know the overarching energy of a nine year has a great deal to do with humanity and compassion and tolerance and caring for others. It, it's a it's a big tent, big picture, all inclusive number. It's also a number of endings. And in 2016, as a country, 
under that umbrella. Um, we should have taken steps to move past what this country has done to itself over the few last few decades. And again, in my opinion, we took a giant step backwards and we've been stepping backwards ever since. So um, here we are reaping what we have sown. What did we sow in, in 2015, 2016? We began to sow a great deal of division. The partisanship became greater. The separation became greater. There's times, I personally feel, there's times I talk to people, I'm not sure we're living in the same country. That's quite evident. Even if you watch cable news, it's like watching news from two alternative universes that don't necessarily seem to be seeing the same thing or more accurately seeing the same thing, but interpreting entirely differently. So here we are bumping up against all of this stuff all the time. And um, we're not doing a good job. We're not doing a good job. And if we don't find a way to make a course correction here soon, I kind of fear for what we're going to happen moving forward. Is there anything that we can do in an eight year if eight year if the year eight is the year of reaping what we have sown, we are in in the process of doing that now uh, and just started on July 4th. But what is it that people can do? in an eight year, just sit back and reap what we've sown? Or is there some action that can be taken in an eight year? Well, in the context of a nine year cycle, again, the eight years where you begin to reap what you've sown, eight on its side is a representation of infinity. Eight numerologically has a great deal to do with the law of attraction, the law of karma. Uh, so individually and collectively, we need to take a good, long, hard look at where we are and make a decision about where we want to go. We need to stop acting as if we are two separate countries living under the same roof with two entirely different ideas of what we are about. We need people to kind of come together. We need people to um, embrace the fact that differences are okay, but willful ignorance and a lack of common sense are not good things. We need to be careful of who we listen to. We need to be careful of the energy we put forth. We need to be careful of the things we embrace. Because again, in my estimation, we're laying the groundwork here for this next nine years to be possibly even worse than what we are currently in, unless people kind of step back and say, wait, this is not acceptable. Well, Michael, I'll tell you what happened. I'll leave names out of it there. And I'm tracking where you're going with this. It reflects much of my own thinking there. We had a famous pundit on the show with us yesterday, someone whose scholarship is sterling and whose commentary contributes to intelligent public discourse. So I went to see how the reviews were. We always look for those, right? On Facebook, and I can't even repeat to you what was said by someone who was clearly on the right side of the political spectrum, quite possibly a Trump enthusiast, and some vile stuff was said. And so I blocked that Facebook user who was no friend of mine anyway. 
but it's the fact that it happened. And I think it's an echo of what you just said, Michael. The, the idea that there is discourse and we will come together and the people will do that. These are aspirational politicians who speak this way, of course. And when they do, I'm thinking, okay, if reason has no place at the table, if pragmatism becomes a dirty word, there's not much left besides conflict, escalating conflict. And it does worry me. Yes, it worries me too, because uh, everything has become so confrontational. And again, talking to people on the opposite side of the spectrum, whichever side of it you're on, um, it's almost an impossible task anymore. It's like talking to a wall. You probably would get better responses talking to a wall. Um, (laughs) And and we have to, we need to come to this um, understanding here again that we're all in this together. I, I, I sadly make this prediction. Um, but I serious in, in my heart of hearts, I have my doubts whether the United States did does 50 or 75 years from now. I could honestly say that I see the United States becoming a European style continent made up of different countries based on geography. Um, I don't know how this, I don't, I'm not sure we could handle it. I really don't believe we could handle it. And because people have such a perverted view of what, um, this, you know, I always get a kick out of the flag wavers who do everything that's (laughs) anti-American. It's just astounding to me. So we need to get it together here. We need to find a way to break through here and start listening to one another. Now, there's there's aspects of the numerology of all this that, you know, because every number has a positive and negative kind of uh, set of characteristics and attributes. Sadly, we've been tending more towards the negative side of this, um, and we need to find a way to get to middle ground and, and move more into the positive territory. Uh, Again, what's the, what's the po- yeah, what's the positive and the I, negative I doubts, of a name? I, I, I doubt. <clears throat> what's I'm the posi- what is the positive and the negative of a year eight? Well, the positive side is that it's um it's good for business, it, it's good for innovation, it's good for leadership, it's it's good monetarily. Um it's about power and manifestation. But the ugly, and, and the thing is, the ugly side of the number eight is very ugly. It's tyrannical. It's authoritarian. It's um, aggressive. It's warlike. It's domineering. Um, and none of that stuff bodes well for the uh, the general public. Because when there are people who are power hungry and are only concerned with power and not leadership, that will never bode well, whether it's a country, a state, a county, a town, a family for that for that matter. Um, and again, the, the negative side of the ache can be very, very ugly because it can get very violent. 
it can, again, it can get, uh, you know, bullying, controlling, abusive, vengeful, oppressive, unjust, unscrupulous. Now, we've certainly seen enough of that over the last couple of years. Um, and again, if we don't find a way to step beyond that, then all of this negativity will continue to be carried forward. Uh, I think this election this year may be one of the most important elections this country's ever had because it's going to give us an indication of where we're going to be. Which direction? Right. This, you know, uh, to, to me, this is more important than the upcoming presidential election. It sets the stage for it. That's why. Exactly. And it's also, if I may add, Michael, you and I, I'm telling you, buddy, you and I are a couple of guys. If this were about... I don't know, 60 years ago, you and I, who are roughly the same age, we would be the two in class to whom the teacher would say, I need to separate you two. Now, Michael, you go over to that corner, and Gary, you go over to that corner, and I don't want to hear another word between you, <laughs> or you're both going to the principal. There, right. but uh, just getting into this kind of stuff, I mean, it it rankles me. It gets me fired up, which for one thing makes for good talk radio when politics is at issue. But I look at this as setting the stage, Michael. Based on what you were just saying, it seems to me that if you want to engage in voter suppression, which most certainly is happening in more and more a naked way on the public stage, if you're going to do that. A good way to do it is to do your finagling in the midterm so that two years down the road, when it's time to select a president, you have the machinery in place because the political will on the right certainly is already there. Right. But I also believe that what's happening on the right is going to backfire on them. I think the Roe v. Wade decision was the death knell for the Republican Party. I... I look at that as a dog chasing a car. They've been cha that dog's been chasing that car for 50 years. Now it caught it. Now what does it do? What happens next? Are they gonna go after more rights? What other fundamental changes are going to be uh, thrust upon us by people with an agenda that is not all encompassing? I, I, well, not, I don't see how that ends well. Well, not all encompassing was the conversation that we were having yesterday about how the minority is ruling the majority uh, because right. they just they're better organized and they are um, motivated to a high degree. When we're we're talking about our numerological years, what I what I envision when you say negative and positive is that it's a coin. And so on one side you have leadership and on the other side you have authoritarianism. And in this eight year, you flip that coin and and see you know which way it's going that will bring you into a nine year. So what is the difference between what happens in an eight-year and what happens in a nine-year? Well, again, in these nine-year cycles, each preceding year affects the, the, the year that follows. That's how numerology works. If you just look at the, the numbers one through nine, the one is the beginning. It's the, the starting point. But it got... It, 
it gets to a point vibrationally where it will stagnate. That's why the two came along, because the two was able to show opposites. It was able to show there's there's two sides to these stories, and we need to look at this stuff and incorporate both of these sides to make it work. But then the two gets to a point where it stagnates, where the three came along, which is about creativity and creating something new. And so it continues along the line. So what we're doing this year will greatly affect what happens next year. If we don't find a way to, to correct course here, then I think next year will be even worse than where we are. Now, all of that being said, there's plenty of opportunity here in this eight year um, for good. Um, if we can find a way to tap into the opportunities that, that can manifest themselves that, you know, as our desires collectively to better our overall financial condition and, you know, by extension, the lives of each and every one of us, that would be a good thing. There's in an eight year, there's always an ongoing possibility for growth and improvement and progress. Um, will we be tested along the way? Yes. But we have to remember that the strains and the obstacles are there to help us grow and to help us to find ways around them and to help us to find uh, and devote more energy towards solutions for the problems that we have. Uh, you know, this is an eight year. It's a year of, of increased activity, expansion, planning, thinking, acting upon plans that we that are put into place. Um, it's a year where big things can certainly happen. And if we do our due diligence, if we do the work that is required, then we can create something good. But as long as we are fighting on every everything because it's ideological and the perfect example just happened with that the the medical yes the burn pits yeah yes the republicans voted for it yes and Overwhelmingly. then voted against it yes because they saw that uh oh we're going to look like we're agreeing with democrats and heaven forbid that should happen Here's the, what I think in this country. A, term limits. Absolutely. And quite honestly, I'm, I'll be 72 next month or in September. I don't want a bunch of 80-year-olds running the country. This is a, the, the future belongs to young people. Young people should be participating in the decisions that are being made. I wouldn't go to my local senior center to ask him for solutions to the future when most of them can't even figure out how to work a computer. And we're, we've put too much power into the hands of too few people who are, in my opinion, out of touch. Yeah. Yes, Gary, we are of similar age. We're of the similar generation. I don't know what happened to us. I don't know what happened to the idealism of the 60s. Yes, was some of it a little airy-fairy? Without a doubt. But there was an underlying idealism of connectedness and of we are all one and we are all in this together that seems to have gotten shattered uh, against the rocks of, of whatever this is we're, we're living in now. 
and to extend on it. And I agree with you, Michael. So let's take let's take that uh, in one direction. Here's another aspect, which is not tangential. It is part of what is central to what passes for political discourse in America today. It used to be, I remember the day <laughs> because I'm a boomer. Okay, boomer. But here it goes. I remember the day when Democrats and Republicans had at least a tacit agreement that political debate and discussion and the criticism that goes with, because we're a very competitive political system and partisan, that with that being the case, it stopped at the foreign shore, that beyond our shore, you did not undermine the current president of either party as they sought to do business geopolitically, diplomatically, and yes, at times militarily. And now I'm not seeing that boundary respected. How does it look to yeah. you? It's, it's, uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Again, we've divided into camps. We have a bunch of idiots in government today. I, I I actually propose I put, the only social media I'm on anymore is LinkedIn. I, I got off Facebook because I, I deal with enough idiots in day to day life. <laughs> I don't need to see them online. But my proposal is this: that each and every member of Congress, Senate and House of Representatives, should be required to, in public, without aid of telephone or computer take a civics test and a citizenship test. And let's see how many of them actually can pass those two tests. My guess is a lot of them will fail. We have people that have perverted ideas of what the Constitution represents, and they act accordingly without any regard to the fact that they could be wrong. You know, back in the day where there was some, uh, you know, where there was bipartisanship and people could sit down and talk, they don't do that anymore. No. Here, if you listen to the people in Congress and the Senate, they don't socialize anymore. They don't get together after work. They go to their separate corners and continue to throw rocks at one another. Now, I think the right is far worse than the left in that regard, but the left has its own issues. I think cable TV, cable news, has absolutely was the big wedge, and then social media came along and just blew the whole thing up. Because what happens when you're on Facebook? You don't see the other side. That That's algorithm right. is set up to continually direct to your feed that which you agree with. And we're all living in silos. One of the Silos. most monumental video uh, documentaries, I think it's on Netflix, uh, The Social Dilemma. If you've never seen it, watch it, because it's a documentary with the guys who designed Facebook and Google and Instagram and all the rest of that. And the common thread of all of these guys is, I will not let my children use the Internet. I That's like that being the, the guy day. who invented yeah. the car and right. saying, I'm not letting my, my family yep. get into a car. Yep, I heard that the other day. 
where those people are not letting their kids use the thing they invented. And that is we get ready to take <clears throat> our break. We'll yep. pick this up on the other side. We're in silos and the trouble with silos is that there's an echo effect. So you wind up in an instant echo chamber. And then when they fill the silos with what are they filling it? This is how this ties in. And I know, yes, listeners, you have my heart. You have my empathy and my sympathy. We start out talking about numbers and then leave it to me, especially when I get with my buddy in class, Michael. And uh, what happened in numerology? We're talking all this politics. Do I have to separate you two? <laughs> That's right. And there's, we're going to be writing lines after class and in Separate the tension. Corners. <laughs> there we go. There, But it's... I want on the other side of this break, Michael, I would like to tie things like the universal year, which really would bear some explanation so that everybody's on the same page here, to understand how that ties into trends in society and trends in civilization worldwide, because the times they are changing, and it seems to many of us like it's an ill wind blowing right at us and harshly. So, Let's take that up. And also, we want to get to our marketing piece after our break so people can find out how they can get up close and personal with Michael Fierro in order to avail themselves of your numerological expertise, sir. So let's go ahead and do that now. We'll be gone for two to three minutes. Nice little bit of music on the back end and more of Michael Fierro on Manson Mitchell for today. And we're glad you're with us here on AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Lauren Archer, a listener favorite, to talk about kinship and one way we can all change global consciousness. On Saturday, Joey Medea and Craig Ansell discussed the CIA's interest in and experimentation with mind-altering drugs back in the 1950s and 60s. They have the inside story. 
bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, numerologist Michael John Fierro. Michael, if people would like to get more information about you and your numerology work, where is the best place for them to find you? What do you have available? Anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you can go to my website, michaeljohnfierro.com. Um, there's information about me. There's information on there about numerology. You can purchase a copy of my book, You Know Your Name, Look Up Your Numbers, um, and you can book a reading or um, whatever. Any any of the services I order offer can be uh, ordered through the website. Um, and uh, actually, I just got contacted by a, a, a new age store in Washington State asking me to come and do uh, an event there. Oh. Um, but uh, Michael John Fierro, all, everything you need to know, there's testimonials. There's a great deal of it. You'll get a good idea of the work that I do and the influence I've had on people and what they think of it by, by reading the, the website. Excellent. But again, it's michaeljohnfierro.com. Right. And, and Fierro is F-I-E-R-R-O, if people correct. are trying to write it out right now. Google it, everybody. Michael, you just held up your book so we could take a look at it and so the people can hear. What is the title of your book again? You Know Your Name, Look Up Your Numbers. Okay. Got snappy title. On, it's a takeoff on a Beatles song. Yes! That, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you, is this not a subtle reference to an arcane Beatles song? Yes, it is. It is exactly that. Actually, a year, many years ago, about 30 years ago, I, I met a guy in New York who was a numerologist who um, had worked with John Lennon. Uh, John Lennon had a great interest in the metaphysical stuff. But yeah, so when, in hearing that song, I thought, there's the name from my book. <laughs> That's perfect. And they, on that song, it, which most people don't know about, it was certainly not a, a single. It didn't charter anything. It's just part of Beatles' world, this particular. It wasn't even on an album. Right. It was a little song. It was like right. a ditty. They were having fun with it and even yeah. affecting these voices. Look up me number and all this yeah. kind of thing. I've heard it only a couple of times in all these years. No rush to play it again, but it makes for a snappy title for a book on numerology. It'll make, good, it'll make nice bumper music the next time I'm on. <laughs> it will. we got to find it. We're going to dig yeah. that up. I'm sure we'll find it on YouTube. That's great. I'm glad you did that, Michael. That's good. See, baby boomers, we're on the same wavelength. We get it. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, Michael, and thanks for all of that. So I, I wish you continued success. I'm curious to know, uh, first of all, for everybody's benefit, including Suzanne's and mine, please define for us your understanding of what a universal year is, what it means, how you calculate it, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe tie that in to why this universal year would be witness to the manifestation of so much political diatribe and unrest? Well, a universal year is determined, you take the four digits of the year, in this case, 2022, and it's two plus zero plus two plus two. That equals six. So we are in a, uni a universal six year. Universal years affect the entire globe. Every 
everybody in the world is under the influence of a six universal year. Now, the good aspects of the of the six, the six is, is very much the healer. It's the teacher. It's the caretaker. It's mom. It's teachers. It's counselors. It's healthcare workers. It's people who wish to do good to help everyone improve their lives and be better people. So that would be the overarching energy of the six universal year. We should have found a way to come together to work with one another to help improve the lives of each and every one of us. Sadly, the negative side of the six, and you know, I, I enjoy being correct in my assessments, but it disturbs me when I call something and it actually happens where I would much rather take the loss, if you understand what I'm saying. Because one of the things I wrote about in my essay about 2022 was the potential for war. And what were we, six weeks into the year when war broke out in Ukraine? Uh, and, you know, we live in such an isolated world at times that we're not really aware of the things that are going on everywhere. But there are wars all over this, all over the globe. Um, and any one of them could have the potential to escalate into something much greater. And if you go back through American history, just American history. 1950, we got into the Korean War. 1941, we got into World War II. Uh, so six is, there's a war quality about it because part of the negative aspects of six is, is a, a, an element of digging in your heels on your position. It's great obstinance. It's great stubbornness. It's great inflexibility it's great unwillingness to listen to anything other than your own opinion or position on something um and we see that uh, overall happening in this country again people getting entrenched in their their places without any desire to say maybe i'm wrong here or what do you have to offer to this let me recalculate my position here we're not doing that so we started, and and also, you know, American history, 1860 was when nullification came about in this country. When southern states started to disregard federal law because they didn't want to go along with it. And we've seen that now in this country where states are saying, oh, no, we're going to go our own way on this. We don't have to listen to you. We don't have to listen to the federal government. So sadly, there, there's, to me, some seeds are, have been or are being planted for civil war, too. Um, we still have six, five months left in this year. Um, we'll see how it goes. But I have a feeling that leading up to and after the election, um, it might get pretty ugly, especially if the side who thinks they're going to win loses. And I, yes. I am, I've been saying this for a very long time, no matter what the pundits are saying, I am not convinced that the Republicans are going to take back the Senate. And I am not convinced that they're going to take back the house. I think they overplayed their hand. They're playing to a minority yeah. Uh, and I just, I think you've pissed off most of the women in this country. I'm not sure that's a good recipe for winning.
I I agree with you. I I've been seeing us going down this track where everybody says the midterms are always, always, always taken by the party that's um, that doesn't have the presidency. And this year I've been hearing a lot of people saying it might not happen, might not because of the overstepping that has gone on, uh, like a, a splash of cold water or a slap in the face. It's like, I think a lot of people woke up and said, what, 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 what just happened? And, and I think there, there is a little bit of a wake up happening where people are saying, you know, that's, I, I'm a I'm a lifelong Republican, but this is one step too far. Right. The disregard for people, the disregard for individuals. Well, what happened to, you know, the pursuit of liberty and happiness and freedom? Yeah. Well, it's okay as long as I agree with you. But if I don't know, you can't have that. And that governor in that state you live in, oh, did he just pulled another one. Yeah. Uh, and I don't see how they think that this is is a a widely accepted. And again, this is part of that silo thinking, in my estimation. The people around you are cheering you on when you're doing something, you know, they like yeah, that they like. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the people outside that silo are on board with that. And again, I think that's where they've overestimated. And because they caught the car. They think they're invincible, but again, now they don't know what to do. So, uh, you know, again, the potential in the eight year, yes, there's great potential for for things to to get better. But I don't see any movement in that regard on a bipartisan uh, level that shows me or makes me think that this is going to happen because especially here in the eight year this is something to really consider here that any abuse of power by anyone will not bode well for those exercising that power or for the people who will be directly affected by it and what we have in my here again people making decisions based on their own ideology it's not about common good it's about, I don't like you doing that. So I'm going to make sure that you can't. Yes, that is what I have seen as well. So much to unpack there. Let me just venture this, Michael. I go back to the first political the presidential campaign. I was precocious as a kid, I admit. There, but 1964 held me spellbound for more than one reason. The Beatles arrived, so that was number one. <laughs> I was a little Beatle maniac, of course, still am too uh, in, in my more uh, senior iteration here. But also, it was the year of the right-wing surge in the Republican Party. The nominee for president that year was Barry Goldwater of Arizona. And the thing, and there is much that I admire about Barry Goldwater. Had I been around and seeing the issues for what they were, I'm not saying it were I of age that I would have voted for him. I say that he was an honorable man, in many ways, an admirable man. He did not want and would not affiliate with the KKK, with the American Nazi Party and other right wing. Uh, organizations, big and small, who latched onto the Goldwater campaign in pursuit of their own agenda. 
they wanted to attach themselves and, and he saw what was going on and that included the john birch society who had uh, that was their heyday back in the day in the late 50s through the mid 60s I mention all this by way of saying Barry Goldwater, whatever else you thought of him, was a principled conservative because that was his philosophy of government. It's the way he viewed the Constitution. Today, many in the Republican Party, many in high places in the Republican Party, don't know the Constitution. And worse, they don't care. They say things like in the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene as one prominent example, you know, we have to be careful about those Jewish space lasers. And also we're a Christian nationalist country that somehow we've elevated Jesus to, and this is my language now, uh, the Republicans have elevated Jesus of Nazareth to be the great Republican in the sky which he most assuredly was not there. And with all of this going on and coming out there, it's it's almost like the right-wing opposition of 50 and 60 years ago has been transformed into something that is so distorted that you can't recognize conservative principle at the core. Right, because there is no principle at the core. That's why. They have completely divorced themselves from any principles. To me, they are about power for power's sake. They don't care about governing. They don't care about, and one of the things I've noticed over the last few decades, Republicans no longer legislate. They litigate. They have packed the courts. I always laugh when I hear people on the right, oh, the Democrats are trying to pack the courts. Really? What did the right do with the Supreme Court? What have you been doing with district courts around the country for the last however many years? If they can't get their way, they sue. They don't like a law, they sue. They don't relitigate it and, and legislate it, they just sue. So there's nothing there that there's no sense of leadership there. Anybody who thinks that Kevin McCarthy is a leader needs to have their head examined. <laughs> anybody who thinks of Mitch McConnell, I like the fact that the Republicans are all bent out of shape because the Democrats use their own tech tactics against them to get a bill passed. Then they got all very upset. Well, this is what you guys are doing. <laughs> You've been doing it for, for a long time. So... <sighs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, again, the, this this election this year will tell us where we're going. It, if it we will, can pull ourselves back from the abyss, then I will have a level of confidence. If we don't, I'll be moving to Canada. <laughs> well, I'll be the car right in front of it. No, no. <laughs> Unless we, with Zoom, you can broadcast from anywhere. See, that's right. the thing. I always thought what I do, I went up going to someplace like just above Burlington, Vermont, where you got a pretty much straight shot across the Canadian border anytime you want to use your travel visa there. So, and people think, think about this. If so and so went, I remember William F. Buckley Jr. saying back in 1972, he uh, made a, a sort of a, a an acerbic vow that he never followed up on, and that is, were needed to, that if George McGovern won the election, he would be leaving the United States. You hear this kind of thing from uh, professors and pundits and movie stars and whatnot all the time. Rarely, if ever, do they become true expatriates like people used to do, like the Americans in Paris back in the 20s, but they sure threaten a lot. 
And so I, I wait to see what the election results will be. Suzanne and I kicked this around a lot o- over our breakfast coffee there. And one of the things I said just the other day was that by my lights, which means nothing to anyone except me, but here's my chance to say, I believe that the Republicans will take the House and all kinds of hell is going to ensue. However, when you have candidates like Herschel Walker running for the U.S. Senate from Georgia, as opposed to Senator Warnock, I mean, surely they realize and can mobilize the votes, realizing that you can't have somebody like a Herschel Walker who is politically ignorant, great football player, but politically ignorant, voicing the concerns of Georgia voters in what appears to me to be a state of complete incoherence. So yeah. in a couple of other cases, I, I think that the Democrats will hold the Senate. I'm optimistic about that. They will hold the Senate, I predict. And by so doing, they're going to show America, anybody interested in politics, that we really are hanging by that slender thread in Congress. And then, you know, part of this, too, is the way the political system is set up. Primaries, not people don't vote in primaries. Who votes in primaries? The zealots. Which is why all of those radical right-wing extremists get nominated, but that doesn't translate to a national to, to winning the general election. Doctor Oz, bless his perverted Socks. little soul, mm-hmm. is getting his ass kicked in Pennsylvania. He's down by nine or ten points. Bad enough that he really lives in New Jersey, um, but. Uh, I think the I do believe that the Dems will not only hold the Senate, that they're going to increase their uh, their membership. And, yeah, with the House, I'm kind of torn. Um, you know, if you're running in you know, and especially with the gerrymandering, you know, when when the candidate is picking the voters as opposed to the voters picking the candidates, then we no longer have a democracy. And you made a comment earlier, Gary, about the minority. You know, this is a majority ruled country, ideally, ideally. but it's not. Yeah. Here in New Jersey in November 2020, 67% of the state voted to legalize marijuana. In where I live, this is the most Republican county in the state of New Jersey maybe one of the most Republican counties in the country. The the big town here, Tom's River, 62% of the people of Tom's River voted yes in favor of marijuana being legal. And six Republicans on the town council said no. Same in Florida. That's not here, majority Michael. rule. We, we had between 65 and 70 percent in Florida say that they want it legalized, not just for medical, but recreational. And what we discovered is the no votes coming out of the state uh, government is the fact that those people didn't have themselves invested in it. And now that more and more of them are buying into it as an investment, it's going to uh, likely pass at some point. The people are already for it, but the people who are making money need to get into it. 
and then they'll go yes. for it. The best thing that could happen to Florida is DeSantis loses the governor's race and then gets knocked out of the presidential race because DeSantis is scarier to me than Trump. By, uh, I won't say by virtue of it, by dint of his youth, among other youth and energy, he has that on his side, and his culture warrior agenda is almost identical to Trump's. Yes, but even uh, maybe more radical. I mean, what he just did to uh, he just invoked some law that was written in 1947 to go after uh, a gay club in Miami. And in addition to that, if we're going to pile on here for a moment in the waning moments. All of our folks, uh, our friends and listeners whom we treasure and miss, they're in Puget Sound. I swear I'm going to get up there again. we got to do some live shows in studio. But the good folks in Western Washington need to know that Governor Ron DeSantis, who in all likelihood will continue to be Governor Ron DeSantis by all the polls I'm looking at here in Florida, this is a campaign stop near you in the making. And we're talking about a governor who made a speech at a right-wing convention in Tampa, Florida, during which, during which that whole event was going on, you had people with Nazi flags standing outside the venue, a hotel in downtown Tampa, waving those Nazi flags. And if there was any condemnation coming from Governor Ron DeSantis about these Nazis outside where he was making a speech, it hasn't reached my eyes or ears. The day of, the day after, the day after that, we have heard no condemnation. Don't want to rile up those folks, and yet there they are parading outside this event where he was speaking. Right. You know what would have caused him to, to uh, denounce it? If it had been a bunch of LGBTQ neo-Nazis, then he would have said something. And God forbid they should be wearing Mickey Mouse ears. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. And again, this and there's again that great dichotomy. You're all for capitalism and all this, and now you're telling you're you're going you're using the power of government to go after a corporation because they don't agree with you. Yeah. Let's see this for what it is. Yeah, going after Disney. I mean, I, I'd love if Disney took up the mantle. The thing is, them. what he did is illegal. The way that law was yeah. written in the beginning made yeah. what he did impossible to do. Yeah. And you're going to see that law disappear very silently because he's not going to be able to pull it off. And if Disney said, you know what, we're just going to move, what would that do to Florida? <laughs> It would open up a lot of real estate for alternate uses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because now, if you've ever you been to the Disney. Originally, they were going to go to Fort Lauderdale. Oh, they were. They were t- Disney I know there was, was originally going to go to the Coral Springs area of Fort Lauderdale. But they couldn't find enough land. So they went up to where they are and sent out hundreds of people. Gary, you go buy 100 acres. Susan, you go buy 1,000 acres. Nobody knew it was Disney buying all of that property until they had accumulated the 27,000 acres that they have. That is absolutely true. That is Florida history. Michael Fierro, thank you, sir. You and I have succeeded in doing something unique. We started with a metaphysical topic 12 straight times now, and then we veer into politics and stay there. God bless you, sir. You got to go where the river takes you, Gary. That's right. And it's flowing toward New Jersey. We hope to see you when we're there in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Join us next Friday. And in the meantime, we hope you all hope you have a great weekend, a great week ahead, everyone. Thanks so much. And God bless America.